Thank you for checking out the Detroit Church Podcast. We are a growing community in the heart of the city, and we exist to awaken Detroit to the greatest adventure of all time. We look forward to sharing this journey as God is making all things new. Who got the chance, the opportunity to write uh, the story of the greatest movement leader of all time, literally the greatest human being, the God-man, what would you make the first presentation? Like, how would you, uh, what would be his inaugural presentation? How would you write it? The truth is, for most of us, the first miracle that Jesus has is not the one we would have picked if it was up to us, right? It wouldn't have been turning water to wine at a wedding for some people that aren't even worthy enough to be mentioned in the story. We don't even get their names. This was the first miracle? Was this an accident? Was it like a slow day and like Jesus didn't have anything else to do? Been a slow news week, so uh, I guess. Or was the first miracle of Jesus something that was very much supposed to happen the way it happened? D.A. Carson wrote this. He said that John prefers the simple word signs. But Jesus' miracles are never simple or simply naked displays of power or neat conjuring tricks to impress the masses. But signs are significant displays of power that point beyond themselves to a deeper reality that can be perceived with the eyes of faith. Meaning, Jesus is far too important. He's far too purposeful to have his first miracle, his first public showing of who he is, the first sort of manifestation of his glory to just be, you know, something that just happened to happen. So for us, then, our task has to be to examine what happened, to pay close attention, to kind of break apart the text in a sense, right, so that we can clearly see what he's communicating to us. And I'm going to try to do this, God bless me, in a, in a certain amount of time. I won't tell you because it just distracts us. Uh, but I'm going to try to, to do this in what I believe can be done in the questions. The first is, uh, who is Jesus revealing himself to be? Who is he revealing himself to be in this text? And in doing so, also revealing Christianity. All right? That's the first thing we're going to try to answer. Who is he revealing himself to be? The second would be, what has he come to do? How is he revealing what he's come to do? We got to start with our first question, which is, who does a text reveal Jesus to be? So, to, to, to kind of take a better look, we'll go to verse 8. Uh, verse 8. Right here, it says, and he said to them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, I'm pretty excited. I get to explain this to you because it's very, uh, I, I normally don't get the hip-hop references. Normally, those are sunny. I get this one, though. So, the master of the banquet is likened to a master of ceremony. Now, here comes the lesson. Uh, when hip-hop began, it, it came out of parties. They used to have these parties in which the DJ took the break beats of disco records only a few seconds and he would loop it. Well, they used little crayons to know exactly where to start. I'm not, see, he, I'm preaching to at least three people. 
so hip hop actually did. I know you, you hear now, you hear the bass and the loud noise, you think that was what, what. No, no, no. Hip hop started about these great big parties where a DJ was just basically looping the best or the break beats or moments from records over and over and over again. And as he was doing it, the party was slamming, everybody had a good time. However, he was so focused on what he was doing, there was nobody to steer the party. Shut up. <laughs> I finally get one. There was nobody to, to guide the ceremony or to make sure the party was as good as it was supposed to be. So somebody had the great idea to say, hey, let the DJ spin the records, but let's invite a master of ceremony or an M. <laughs> Only here at Detroit do I get to preach hip-hop to you with the, with the gospel twist. Okay, so, so how hip-hop started was it wasn't the, the rapper actually was the MC. He was the one that guided the party to make sure everybody had a good time. The rapper would say, all right, put your hands up. The rapper would do shout-outs. They would call out and say, hey, Reggie in the back. And they would talk real sick. It was a real cool thing. Uh, back in New York, and, and hip-hop was birthed out of this incredible ability to manage the good vibes of a party and keep it so that it never ended. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> I love it. So, the first thing Jesus does after he says, hey, take, take the water pots like we, like, we, like we heard, take the big water pots, fill them up with water to the brim, Scoop some out, give it to the master of the banquet or the MC. Give it to the guy who manages the banquet or the party. Now, here's the thing. Because they have no more wine, this guy is about to have a hard day. I don't know if you've been to bad parties, but when there's no wine to help a semi-okay party turn to a better party, it goes down real bad. There's about to be a great deal of shame for this master of the banquet. But when Jesus sends the wine to him, he sips this wine and he, he calls the bridegroom over and say, hey, usually we give the best stuff at the front of the ceremony or the front of the feast. But you have saved the best for right now. Okay, you were thinking, now I just took you all through hip-hop fines. You got to make this real deep now because you just got everybody want to go home and listen to Run DMC. So... What Jesus revealed himself to be is ultimately he is the greater master of the banquet. What Jesus reveals himself to be is ultimately the one that helps the party have the best time. Jesus reveals himself as the one who has the greatest type of experiential life for all of us. When he actually gives this to the master of the banquet. What Jesus is saying is he is actually the master of every banquet. He's Lord of the wine. He is Lord of the feast. Now, you're thinking, okay, uh, what's the big deal, Fonz? What the big deal is, how many people do you know that have rejected Christianity because they say, you know, I, I think that's cool, but I really just want to have fun right now. Like, the, the truth is, we have neglected Christianity unintelligently. We've neglected the rules. I got to talk like this. 
I got to look like that. I got to wear a suit or whatever expression we saw. Most of the time, do you realize, y'all, we aren't even rejecting Jesus. We're rejecting the expression of church that we were made to be a part of. And here's the thing. We got a diverse group. So if some of you grew up with a Christianity or an expression of it that had maybe a lot of gifts but was void of character. Others of you grew up maybe with an expression that had good character, but that was void of some of the gifts. Ready for this one? Some of you grew up and didn't have neither. It was void of character and competency and gifts. You just hated church. It was just rustic. You couldn't wait to get home. And what's happened is as a result, people have they've left these expressions of church making a decision about who Jesus is, not knowing he reveals himself as Lord of the best life, Lord of the feast or banquet. Now, the, the, the thing about being the Lord of the feast, it means that Jesus ultimately brings us festival joy, festival joy. In the Old Testament, you see all of these festivals where they have a great time. And the idea here is that Jesus brings the real party. He brings real adventure, real hope into the life of the believer. Now, half of you are, are retracing your steps and you're thinking, I don't know if that's true, Fonz. I feel like I had more fun and wine before Jesus. <laughs> and I acknowledge this. Some of you, you, you might have, and, and, and maybe it's a good thing that you put the wine down. But the idea here is less about the wine and more about the kind of life that is promised us. And the truth is, for some of us, what we considered fun was really us trying to outrun inner turmoil in our souls. So, what we consider our, our most fun time is also our most destructive. Not everybody is trying to get it popping on Friday night because some of us remember some of those Saturday mornings. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have very many, but the ones I did have, they left a mark. What I found out is that most of us uh, have looked at the things of God as not as fun, not as engaging, because it's not as dangerous. Not knowing that for the, the dangerous seeking ones of us who love walking on the edge, we fall off and some of us have still yet to get back in. Some of the people that you love have played with their lives in a way that they haven't yet gotten control over what they danced on the edge of years ago. Jesus offers you the best kind of life because he offers you an existence without shame and fear. I wish we celebrated this as much as we should. I wish church was not just known by, by, by subpar music. Not here. I want to be clear. Not here. The guys did their thing. Herb ain't here, but I'm going to give him a shout out when we get to the grace part. Like, like. Not everybody has this experience. Some people, they look at church as being stark, as being dry. And it's because our affections have still not yet been turned. We sometimes still enjoy the dangerous and the risk more than we do rest and peace. And it only takes a little bit of experience for you to learn. Peace of mind is worth so much more than having a great time and being scared the whole time. I get a witness from anybody 30 and over. 
Now, if you're 22, I understand you're going to have to work your way into this. Because <laughs> you're going to fight back. I know. But Jesus reveals himself in the text as the master of the feast, the lord of the banquet, as the true and ultimate MC. Nobody can guide an experience like Jesus the Christ. I wonder if you know him. Okay, sorry, I just threw that in there. <clears throat> so Jesus has come to bring festival joy. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is joy, but let's be, we, we, we kind of move to the next question, which is what he came to do. Although Jesus is joy, we have that joy at a cost and at a price. And here it is. I think we have it too behind me. Uh, Jesus is joy, and Jesus becomes our curse so that we can become the blessed. Jesus knows that for us to have festival joy, it means he must suffer. This is incredible. Jesus knows the cost of our transformation and that he is the only one that can provide what the penalty of sin demands or requires. He is the only one in this situation that has a true connection between wine and his blood. In verse 4, she says, Jesus, they have no more wine. And his response is, my time has not come yet. That's translated in another text, my hour has not come yet. So to make sure we trace this down, we can even do a quick Bible study real quick. In John 7 and 30, we'll look at it again. The Bible says, uh, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come yet. John 12 and 23 says, and Jesus answered them. And this is after his triumphant uh, uh, entry and all of that. And he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When Jesus says, my hour hasn't come yet, mom or woman, what he's saying is, it's not time to die yet. Well, now this seems interesting. He's at a wedding. It's good vibes, good celebration. I mean, they're out of wine, but they don't know it yet, right? It's a good time. His mom comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, there's no more wine. And his response is, it's not time for me to die. What does this mean? This can't mean I'm not going to help you because Jesus isn't like us. Right? He doesn't say, no, mom, get away. And then two verses later, I guess I'll help. I mean, you know. Jesus isn't like us. So this phrase can't mean I'm not going to get involved. What it means is he's at this wedding and he's thinking about the ultimate wedding that ultimately every wedding points to. Yes. Now, I didn't know this. I had to study this. I found out that in Jewish tradition, the very notion of a wedding speaks to one thing. The ultimate wedding where the Messiah, the bridegroom, marries his bride. And everything they do, in a sense, has all been built up towards this. So Jesus, at this moment, he is not necessarily involved in their celebration. He is thinking about what it's going to take for him to provide wine at his ultimate wedding. I love that the writer says that in the midst of everyone else sipping celebration, Jesus is sipping sorrow. 
In the midst of the good time and the good vibes, Jesus is focused on his hour when he knows what he's going to have to do to, to, to marry his bride. Ultimately, he's going to have to give his own life. For Jesus, there is a direct connection between wine and blood. Don't believe me? Then later on in communion, what does he tell them? Drink this wine, which represents why? Because Jesus understands what he is going to have to do to pay for his bride. Now, this is what I found out as, as I started to study. I found out that there are some Jewish traditions that directly speak uh, to Jesus the Messiah. And one of them, the first one I, I love, and it's maybe because I have a daughter, but the father chooses the bride. The father chooses the bride for the son. The son does not go after any woman. The son, his pursuit of a wife is blessed by the father. You're thinking me. You're thinking wrong. God has chosen the bride of Jesus. Let's have more fun with it. Uh, when betrothal is about to start, there is what they call a bridal cost. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Before he can even propose, he has to get his money right so that he can make a preparation and he can actually give a gift of high price. Now, this is incredible because uh, this gift, although her family can partake of it, when she accepts this gift, it means she is now cut off from her family and she is aimed and targeted and consecrated towards this guy that she will marry. You get it yet? You have been purchased with a high price. So glorify God in your body. <laughs> you get it? Betrothal does not start unless one gives a big gift, a big offering. And when it's accepted, now relationship begins. Okay, we'll keep going. There's more. Uh, uh, after that, after it's accepted, they have an a actual formal a ceremony, and it's actually what they call a betrothal ceremony. I found out that actually the word betrothal in its etymology actually means sanctified or set apart. <laughs> it's, an, it's a year-long period of betrothal where the purpose of it is for both the groom and the bride to be sanctified apart from each other. And it's like they're legally married, although there's no consummation. After the year is up, she then has to wait, all prepared and adorned. But she doesn't know exactly which hour the bridegroom is coming. Now she knows about, but she doesn't know the exact moment he's coming. So her job is to stay ready. You see how much fun this is? This happened all the time. <laughs> this was their Jewish tradition. Now I know you think, well, no, the wedding is all about the dress. <laughs> Wasn't so at one point. At one point, it was all about the preparation. <sighs> During the betrothal period, she is adorning herself. She's sewing the dress. She's doing that, consecrating herself. Guess what he's doing? He's preparing a place. <laughs> this is crazy. And in some cases, it's a new place. Other places, he's just adding on to the house of his father. 
Guess what? The, the groom, the bridegroom, does not decide when it's time to go and actually seal the deal. His father has to give him the approval. I thought this was crazy. <clears throat> now, one, I did not follow this exact plan. When I got married, I'll admit. But the idea here, we'll look at a wedding and say, no, 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 no. There has to be something better than this. It's because we don't understand what the wedding meant. It's because in our, in, in our culture, now the wedding doesn't hit as hard. But in the day that Jesus was walking, in, when the original audience would have heard this a few, you know, a few decades after it had happened, they would think about all of the good and all of the covenant associated with the wedding. And to them, it would mean a lot more than it does to us right now. For us, it seems like a puny first miracle almost, right? Until you understand that what he is setting them up for is the very reason he came and what he came to do. He's explaining all of that. I'll give you a couple more and then we'll get back. The bridegroom does not decide when it's time to go and take his wife. He works on the house, and at a certain point, his father says, hey, now it's good enough. Go get your bride. Now, here's the thing. He, when he's on his way to go get his bride, she doesn't know. She's been just staying ready, which is the purpose of, of the parable that we see in Matthew with the ten virgins and the oil and the lamps, right? Staying ready, being wise. Well, uh, uh, there is a way for them to find out right before it's about to happen. The groom uh, will release one of his groomsmen to run ahead of the procession and run through the streets blowing the shofar saying, Behold, the bridegroom comes. <laughs> he runs ahead of the procession, running through the streets toward the bride's house saying, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And do you know when she finds out exactly when the moment of uh, a betrothal is over and they actually begin to fully be consummated uh, in their official wedding ceremony? It's when she hears the blast of the shofar and she hears the proclaimer or the euangelion, the one declaring good news saying, hey, the bridegroom is on his way. Get ready. Let's go. Admittedly, I'm really excited about this. I had a few days to think it over. The entire wedding process is all lined up, modeled after Jesus the Messiah. Now we understand why Jesus said, hey, even I don't know when I'm coming back. <laughs> Watch this. Not that he doesn't have knowledge, but that it isn't up to him to decide. The Father decides. crazy the ceremony lasts for days and they sealed their covenant with wine they sealed their vows with wine wine in this context isn't just a good drink that creates a good time or good vibes wine is a sign that a covenant has been entered into and sealed Now, this is incredible because, again, we're answering our questions, right? The first, what did Jesus come? How does he sort of reveal who he is and how he came? Well, he reveals himself as the true master of the feast, right? As the ultimate MC, the one that brings new life and the best kind of life. And what does he come to do? His hour lets us know what he's come to do. He has come to die. He's aware of it. He's thinking about it. 
He knows that for him, he won't get to his wedding unless he dies first. Somebody even said, can this cup pass by me? Can anybody else drink this cup? Is there any other way, God? Guess what? There was no one else that could do it. Herb earlier was, was, was preaching half the message. He was talking about the scandal of grace. And, the, and, and this is, it, it's very, it very much is a scandal because somebody else is drinking the cup you deserve. The cup I deserve. Somebody else, while I'm doing my thing, somebody else is suffering that I might have true joy one day. I wish somebody would explain to me during my most depressing moments, my lowest moments, that there was one suffering for my joy. That when, to me, it seems like, oh, this is it. I won't come back from this. Like, I, I can't win. There is somebody that thinks, hey, no, the cycle of sin and shame can be broken if I step in and drink. Do you realize it's because of Jesus that we are not limited to being slaves to just what you do and how you think? Or worse, how you feel. I'm so glad that joy is not a product of my feelings. Right? Let's be honest. There was a lot of decisions you would make if you had to keep your commitments up based on your feelings. We have to have something that's anchored in something deeper, something beyond that. And for us, that is we have a Lord of the wine who specializes not just in transforming water to wine, but he can drink the cup that we could not so that we get to taste true party as a lifestyle. And what's true party? Sinless, shameless living. This is what you and I have been created for. We've not been created to fight and to strive and for idolatry. We have been created for worship and created for glory, created for relationship. And until someone breaks the shackles of our sin and our shame, until one comes to us in a way that we can perceive and understand, we miss it. So he reveals what he came to do and in a sense what Christianity is about. Now, this means you cannot judge Christianity by the Sunday service experience. Because the Sunday service experience doesn't redeem you. It makes you feel good, but it doesn't redeem you. See, the only way you taste real joy or transformation is if someone tastes your suffering. Transformation has a cost. Because Jesus pays the debt, we get access to the glory and the freedom. You don't have that without your acknowledgement of your own sin debt and his willingness to pay what you could not. Thanks for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and rate. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Detroit Church.